Well, I think I'm about ready for COVID to be over. I don't know if the election canceled it or not. We'll find out pretty soon, I guess. Hey, I want to find out who stayed up the latest on election night. Let's start out. How many stayed up till midnight? Let me see your hand here. All right, keep them lifted. Who are still awake at 1 o'clock? 2 o'clock? 3 o'clock? Y'all are crazy. 4 o'clock? 4 o'clock? Pat, you were awake at 4 o'clock in the morning? Anybody outdo her? Well, I tell you what, if I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning, that's something. I told Linnell at 10 o'clock, I said, honey, they're not going to find out tonight. Let's go to bed. I'm tired. You know, this has been one of the most, uh, a week that's been filled with uncertainty, to say the least. And the uncertainty is still in the air. Uh, I saw a little headline. I, I, I laughed, but I also was a bit sad for the people. At a university, University of Virginia, offering guided meditation for election stress relief. Now, I don't know that meditation is a bad thing. I mean, if you're meditating on the Scripture, if you're meditating on the Lord, that's a good thing. But how I many know if you're trying to uh, just say your mantra until you, uh, uh, you know, go into an altered state, or if you're trying to connect to some spirit or something like that, you might get in trouble. But those folks are symptomatic of an America that's trying to find peace in a troubled time. And... Uh, I want to share a scripture with you that I think is better than meditation exercises. Or you could meditate on it when you, when you feel trouble. It's a scripture that's guided me all my life. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you can say this with me. To trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Now, how many can say that's a promise to anchor your soul on? Sure. Uh, when I was a young boy, I became a Christian at 19. When I was about 20, maybe 21, I headed to Adak, Alaska in the Navy. And uh, I, I found a little picture of my journey to Adak, Alaska. It was from a postcard, but it was a bleak place. Uh, I doubt anyone has been to Adak other than perhaps the military people. But it's all the way to the end of the Aleutian Islands. It's uh, straight out from well, Washington State. It almost touches Russia. Uh, there were bunkers that were built uh, during World War II when we fought uh, 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 the Japanese. And it was, you know, it was an old island. But when I was there, that little airplane, it's called a P-3 Orion, we would hunt a Russian submarines. But I want to tell you, it was an isolated place. There was nothing there but a barracks, some base housing, uh, a, a store, and some offices. And most people that went there hated it. They thought they were being, uh, having to go to Alcatraz. But yet, for me, it was different. When I got off that airplane, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know a soul. I didn't know where I was going. I was 20 years old. I didn't have much experience about life. And if there's a word that would define stepping out of that airplane into Adak, Alaska, it's the word uncertainty. But here's what I want to tell you that I learned as a young man. I learned that shortly after I got off, before I knew it, I had found a circle of Christian friends. Before I knew it, I had even kind of been adopted by a Christian family. Their name was the Krupas. Uh, Dave and Bitsy, they were, I think, from Maine. And uh, I, I experienced the greatest time of spiritual growth and discipleship that I've experienced in my whole life. 
It was about a year and a half of just no distractions in the world. And uh, what was an uncertain thing, I sensed the hand of God guiding me. And this is going to be my message to you this morning. God is in control of our lives and we can trust him that his unseen hand is guiding us. Now I'm going to develop this theme further, but uh, how many can say you've been a bit frustrated with the election? Yeah, me too. This message will pertain to the election, but it's not about the election. It's about uncertainty in life wherever it emerges. Uh, my daughter Rebecca is with me today, and uh, she and I were talking over lunch yesterday about her master's degree and where she might live and, and how life's going to work out and how we're going to pay bills. And she, was just make, she wanted to make sure that Dad was going to keep paying a bill that he'd been paying. And, 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 and there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, in life. So this will help you. But this election, I, I, if I could just be, uh, share some personal thoughts a moment. I'm deeply frustrated and angry. And I'm not frustrated and angry just because different candidates that I hoped would win did not win or may not win. But what I'm frustrated about is the, what appears to be the fraud, the deception, uh, the crookedness, and the lack of integrity in our election system. Uh, I have deliberately not been reading the news the last few days because the more I read it, the more depressed I got. I had to get myself connected first to God so I could control that information. But uh, uh, if only half or if, if a fourth or 10% of what I have been reading about how ballots were stolen or misplaced or added or whatever, if that much is true, then our nation is in trouble. And it's in trouble because how can we ever trust a nation or a candidate again? Uh, if that's true, it means that those in power are not in pursuit of justice but as I wrestled with this issue, I had, to, I had to come to the place where I am praying and trusting God uh, as I wait, because it's going to work itself out through the court systems. Who knows what that's going to be, you know. But what I've found and what I want to communicate to you today is our God is still in control. God's sovereignty over the nations and over the universe and the United States of America, over the church, over your life and mine, is not determined by who's in the White House. Come on. It's determined by the King of Kings and by the Lord of Lords. So uh, this is what I hope I can do today. Nobody can stop his plans, but we can face the future with peace knowing God is in control. Now, I'm going to convey this to you today from two historical accounts, an Old Testament one with the, uh, in the book of Daniel and a New Testament uh, example in the life of Stephen. And I've simply entitled this, God is in control. So why don't you take a deep breath with me and just know that he is. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. Uh, we're going to talk about a godly remnant. The word remnant means a leftover few that are still walking with God when nobody else is. A godly remnant faced the uncertainty of captivity in a pagan world. It was called Babylon. The book of Daniel, about 600, written about 600 years before Jesus was born, and it was written about 700 years after the Moses had prophesied to the Jewish people. And Moses basically said this, Guys, if you turn your back on God, if you fall into idolatry, and if you do it long enough, God's going God's to judge you and send you into captivity. 
And that's exactly what happens in the book of Daniel. Uh, I'm not trying to draw parallels between our day and Daniel's day in terms of captivity, but I am trying to draw parallels between the uncertainty that they face as they left their homeland. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, an example of how God is, can use a, a pagan, unbelieving king to further his purposes. I mean, no, we didn't have a, uh, what you would call a shining uh, Christian candidate in the election. I mean, we don't have a Christian party. America, I mean, we're just not cut out of that mold. And I'm telling you, whoever is in the White House, God can and God will use that person to further his purposes on the earth. The White House, the FBI, the CIA, our military, none of them are greater than our God. Notice what it says, though. The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over Judah. That was the judgment. And then the king ordered his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I want you to show you a picture here. It's not a very good one. I think it was probably taken from the first iPhone. It's not even in color. Nah, just teasing. Uh, this is just a biblical internet kind of picture of what it might have looked like for people to go into captivity. But I want you to think about these men. I want you to think about Daniel as a teenager leaving his home. All these people had a place they called home. Notice their chain now. All of them had probably wives and they had kids. They had hobbies. They had fun things they liked to do. They had a favorite turkey hunting spot. I mean, they, 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 okay, that's me, all right. But they had a life that was there in their homeland, and all of a sudden someone stronger than them came and took them away. They might never see their family again. They might never go back to their home. Uh, it's bad enough if you're an adult and have had some experience in life, but what's it like if you're 15, 16, 17 years old and you don't have your dad, you don't have anybody with you there to, to help you? But here's what I want you to understand. Though they're forcibly taken away, they're facing an uncertain future and reason and feelings were probably in control. Reason and feelings hid them from a spiritual reality. God was in control and they were on a mission from God. Now how can that be? That a young people that are now in slavery, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo, how could it be that God had a plan for their lives and they're in shackles? But I'm telling you, friend, God is controlling this thing that we call life. He is sovereign. He's given us free will. But for those who will believe in him and follow him, there's a divine hand that guides us. Now, before I get back to their story, I want to give you a little perspective. Clearly, God had not forgotten them. But here's the perspective. They were born for a purpose. And God had inserted them in time for a reason. Now, I want to suggest to you that the same God, it would have been just as easily, Kevin, you and I could have been in their day. I mean, it could have been that Rebecca, you and I, and Kevin and Steve, we could have been Shadrach, Meshach, and you'd have been Abednego, I guess. I'll be Daniel, okay? But it could have been us. You know, granted, we are the product of conception of our mother and our father, but yet God could have inserted us in time anywhere he wanted to. We are more than just a product of conception. There is a divine sense about our lives. 
Let me tell you where I get this from. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Whenever you're grappling with fear, that's a good point to just sit down and meditate on that. Notice verse 25. He gives everyone life and breath and everything else. But notice verse 26. This is our main passage. From one man, Adam, God made all the nations, and it was God that marked out their appointed times in history. Now, what are nations? Nations are collections of people. So God was the one that was behind the raising up of the United States of America. God was the one that was behind the Roman Empire. God was the one that was behind the nation of Egypt in Pharaoh's day. There's a sovereign hand that's at work in the world. We are not some, uh, uh, some cog in this machine. There is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and they come together. But God is the one that's in control, and God places us for a purpose in life. Uh, God has a purpose, and our purpose is not always easy or fun. It was not fun for Shadrach and the boys, for them to be marching off to this pagan place. Uh, the future certainly looked uncertain to them, but it was not to God. Lawsuits are going to play out in states. They're going to play out in, Supreme, in the Supreme Court in America. How many know God already knows what's going to happen? Yeah. See, there's a confidence you can have in that. Uh, sometimes our plans don't match up with God's purposes. Now let me give you a little more on the perspective in. Sometimes when we make plans for life, they're not always the plans that God has. For example, if I'm designing my life, I'm going to get a new truck every three or four years. Praise the Lord. If I'm designing my life, I'm going to, uh, uh, turkey season is going to be extended a little bit. And I'm going to have a few more places to go. I'm going to have a place to duck hunt. Uh, my house is going to be paid off. Uh, you know, I'm going to be able to, to, to pay for my daughter's college. Uh, you know, life just, we plan it out and mix it out. But that's not always what God is doing. Now listen to this. This is huge. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Jesus has ascended into heaven. It's after the, resur- after the crucifixion and resurrection. It's just before he goes to heaven. And he's around with his disciples. And notice the question they ask. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Israel was a world power before the captivity. And since then, for hundreds of years, they've just been this little backward nation. And what their concern was is, Lord, we want to be strong again. We want power once again, Lord. We want our nation's credibility to be high in the eyes of the world. We're tired of living under the Roman Roman experience. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus said, you're not, you're, it's not for you to know the times or date the Father is set, but you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me everywhere. In other words, they were concerned about comfort and prosperity, and they were concerned about their future lives on this earth, and Jesus had a whole other agenda. Jesus' agenda was their role in advancing the eternal kingdom of God. And this is what I want to tell you today, folks. You've got a purpose in life. Your purpose, Pete, is more than just being a lawyer. Your purpose is to serve the Lord in some capacity, whether you're coaching on the ball field, leading a missions trip, leading a Bible study. God has given us purpose on life. And this is how I want you to see yourself. Whatever the future holds, God is walking with me, and he's walking me to fulfill a purpose on this earth to be able to help people. Now, let's get back to to our guys here, Daniel and company. 
God can turn the uncertainty of a crisis into a blessing. Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had, again, he's the pagan king. He had a disturbing dream and he couldn't sleep. And he called in the magicians and astrologers. And this is what he said, verse 5. He said, if you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you're going to be torn limb from limb. Now, how many of those somebody came up to you and said, I had a dream last night. And in my dream, I was on a baseball field, and I had a bat in my hand, and the bases were loaded, and I swung at that ball, and it was a grand. It went so high, it was kind of like a field of dreams in the corn. I mean, it was just like out there. I wonder what that meant. And you can come up with something. You're going to say, man, you're going to play on the old man's softball team again, and you're going to be the cleanup. You could make up something. But what if the guy said, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. You tell me what the dream was and what it means, and if you can't do it, I'm going to kill you. Now, they were shaking a little bit. Look at verse 10. The astrologers replied, no one except the gods can tell you your dream. The king was furious, and he ordered all the wise men of Babylon to be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to kill Daniel and his friends. Now... They had been promoted. They were slaves, but they were, they were being progressively promoted throughout the book of Daniel. And they're in a, pretty much in a place of, of, of leadership in the nation. And now, for no fault of their own, they're going to be killed too. Can I tell you, no matter what they had planned that day, uncertainty changed everything. It's just like if you got a text message, God forbid, but said your mother or one of your kids is in a car accident, go to the hospital. Let me tell you what, you'd leave this church service, you'd ask somebody to pray on the way out. You might have had plans this afternoon to work in the yard or whatever the case may be, take the kids on a picnic, all that's out the window. How many know uncertainty has changed everything? And as soon as you get to that hospital, you want to find the person in the know and ask how my little girl is. Is she going to be okay? Well, uncertainty came to uh, Daniel and company just like this. Now, here's what I want you to see, though, at this moment. When uncertainty was so real, he didn't resign to death. See, sometimes when the potential of something bad is before us, we just throw up our eyes and, uh, and resign and quit. Daniel could have said, oh, no, I'm dying today or tomorrow. <laughs> Shadrach, I want you to go to Sam's and give me some of that smoked salmon I like, you know, the little package that's cut just right, and then go to Taste and See and get me a big bag of dark chocolate-covered pecans. Not the almonds, they're cheaper. Get the pecans. And I'm just going to eat salmon and, and eat, eat pecans tonight, and then I'm going to die. You ever felt that way? I'm oh, just watching another movie. I just do a Netflix weekend, one after the other. <laughs> they didn't do that. Because, listen, God's not done with us yet. Now, here's something you got to know. When I talk about the sovereignty of God and God is in control, I want you to think of two wings on a bird. And though God has the ability, sometimes God will act irrespective of what people do. In other words, God's just going to do it because he's God and he's chosen to. But most of the time, there's a God wing and there's a John wing, which means God's going to do his part, but I've got my part to play. And this is where, for a couple of days, I've got to be honest with you, uh, I was a little down o o over some parts of the election. 
And uh, I just felt like, I don't know what I felt like, but I felt like I'm helpless. Before the election, I mean, that was la just last week, we were talking about issues. Remember, there was a little tense in the room last week. What does the Bible have to say about these election day issues? And I managed to survive it all. And uh, uh, I felt I was doing something. I voted. But, but what in the world, what, what can I do now? If I don't like the results or where it's at, is there anything I can do now? Do you feel helpless? Well, I want to tell you what. This is where the Holy Spirit came to me this week and reminded me, I am not helpless. There is something powerful about the place of prayer. Look at verse 18. Daniel urged his friends to ask the God of heaven and show them mercy uh, by telling them the secret. And here's what I want to tell you today, friends. Not just about an election, but about uncertainty when life doesn't seem to hedge your way. It is the power of prayer that has the power to change things. Come on. And God is the one that has the last say. One of my daughters sent me a text and said, right after the election results, and uh, I guess on Wednesday, and said, uh, well, Dad, gosh, what are you thinking? And I said, i tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Second Chronicles 20, 20, believe the prophets and prosper. That I'm not, I'm not giving up on my future and your future and America's future. I'm not resigning myself. Listen, God's in control. But back to Daniel now. When they woke up, uh, they woke up to uncertainty. They weren't abandoned. Uh, uh, and this is maybe the, the core of the message. They didn't passively wait for God to do something. Faith is not saying whatever will be, will be. Whatever God wants to do, God will do. No. Faith and trust is active. It is not passive. We express our faith in prayer to fight spiritual battles. Because prayer has power in the spiritual world. I want to tell you, friend, in case you didn't know this, let me tell you, this election is not just about two competing worldviews. This election is not just important for America and the world. This election is a spiritual dynamic that's at work. You better believe that Satan is jumping in this thing just like believers are jumping in it. Now, let me tell you about the power of prayer. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Um, Paul said we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. He said, we're fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We're fighting against evil spirits in heavenly places. What does that mean? That behind anything that's opposing the will of God from being done, and I do not presume to know fully what that is, but any force that's opposing it, it's because a demonic influence is behind it. Listen, friend, the problem may not be the election administrator. It may not be a judge. It may not be a governor. It may not be a campaign manager. It may not be the Supreme Court, but it may be demonic activity. Come on now. Driving these men and women. Driving these men and women to, if, if, if the, what we're hearing is true, if there's been fraud, if votes are being created... And let me tell you what my big concern is in that, friend. If we lose justice in America, we lose the fabric of our republic. If we lose the sense of right and wrong, if you can do anything you want to to get your way in life, we lose, there's lawlessness is in the land. So this is important for the state of our, of our future. But there's demonic activity that we're fighting. Don't just get mad at somebody. Don't just get mad at a President Trump or President-elect Biden. Don't just get mad at, at whoever's in, involved in the process. There's demonic spirits that are at work behind them. Listen to what he says. 
He said, put on every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And I'm not going to go through those, but look at verse 18. It's, it's where it's headed. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers. And if I could tell you something today, when you're in a time of uncertainty, whether it's about your future college, Rebecca, whether it's about the election in America, whether it's about the future of Red River Army Depot, whether it's about your social security, whether it's about your marriage, you be persistent in prayer because your prayer has power. Come on. Your prayer has power. When you are trying to align yourself to the will of God and you are praying in the name of Jesus, all heaven is pushing with you. Listen, God has not left us on this earth to, do, uh, to just wait on him to act. We are his partners, see, in this, in this affair called life. Uh, let's keep reading verse 19. Now, again, the guy's just come up, and he said, you guys are going to die. And Daniel bought a little time, and they went to pray that night. Verse 19 is the turnaround <laughs> that night. You know, I tell you. Have you heard the phrase that uh, God is uh, rarely early, but he's never late, but he's always right on time? How many would say, I wish God was early much more often than he is? But he just shows up. That night, the secret was revealed in a vision. And Daniel went to his friend. Can you imagine when he, he, he got this dream? He went to Shadrach and Abednego, and he said, My friends, praise the name of God forever and ever. My friends, would you lift your hands with me? He didn't do that. He got out of bed and he just started uh, jumping. He found him. He said, hey, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God showed me last night. This thing isn't over, guys. And they're just having a little Holy Ghost Pentecostal party right there. Sure he did. But look at this. God has all wisdom and power. Well, what does that mean? God is smarter than the smartest electioneering agents in America. God is smarter. God has power to eventuate his will. Now, I want you to say this out loud. God controls the course. See, out loud means we all talk together. God controls the course of world events. God controls the course. Now, that may demand that we've got some flapping to do, but God is controlling world events. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. He could, he could be God's will to remove Donald Trump and place Joe Biden in there. Or it could be after the AP has called it. Now, you know, uh, it's not finalized anywhere. It could be that God would remove President-elect Joe Biden and reinstate President Trump. And then what you would see is you'd see riots on the street. You'd see people trying to get their way with violence. But God is the one that is behind this. What I'm telling you, we are not alone and we are not helpless. Let's keep reading. Um, verse 24. Then Daniel, now, now, there comes a point where this flap in your wing, your part, is more than praying. Sometimes God wants you to do something. Daniel went to see Arioch, the captain of the guard. And he said, take me to the king and I'm going to tell him the meaning of the dream. Verse 27, and you know what this was about? This was not just about Daniel's safety. It was about the will of God and the purpose of God and the mission of God on the earth. Remember I told you we all have a purpose? 
Daniel had a purpose. And he had to walk through this dark valley to get there. Uh, and here's what he said, verse 27. Uh, There's no magician or fortune teller who can reveal the king's secret. In other words, he's fixing to do some witnessing. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen. And he goes on and explains the dream in great detail. Well, verse seven, uh, 47 is a turnaround. The king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. And then the king made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon. You say, how could that happen? He was a slave. Listen, he was a slave in the hand of God. How I many know promotion comes not for the east or the west, but promotion comes from the Lord? And he was a willing vessel in the hands of God to advance God's service. And he took his buddy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego along with him. Here's what I want to tell you today, friends. The uncertainty of the crisis created an opportunity for God to be revealed to blinded hearts. Now, let me head towards the end of the message, and I want to use some new terminology. Sometimes it may seem like we're losing, but we're winning. Sometimes, and again, I'm not just talking about an election here. I'm talking about a principle in the kingdom of God. Our main goal is not comfort, but the advancement of the kingdom of God. For some of you, I would surmise there's three groups of people in this room today. One, likely there's people here that have never committed your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you die today, you don't know if you go to heaven or hell. There's another group, probably the larger group, that know Christ is your Savior. And that's a wonderful thing. But there's a third group that try to move from Christ being my Savior to my Lord. And my Lord means my master and that I'm serving him. And that's what I strive to every day of my life. When Jesus is my Savior, it's all about me. I want to go to heaven. I want a better life. I want peace. But when he's about my Lord, it's like you're a tool in the toolbox. You're on the bench in the football game saying, put me in, coach. I'm ready to serve you and go in the game. Now, let's get into this idea of winning and losing. And let's talk about Stephen. Acts chapter 7, and this is where we're going to wind up. Sometimes when we lose, we win. Now, Stephen was a deacon, which means he was a servant in the early church, but he was a deacon unlike any I've known. Stephen did miracles. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Bible says when he was being questioned by the Jews, uh, because he was preaching Jesus, that his face looked like an angel. This guy had a supernatural sense about him. And the same people that killed Jesus, now threatened by him. So they make accusations. And what they did is they formed a conspiracy to silence his voice. And this is where we pick up the story. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is on trial. And uh, the high priest said, are these accusations true? Now, it would have been very easy for Stephen to say, "Uh, no. I never did any of that. I'm just going to be a good little boy so I can live another 30 or 40 years maybe and then, and then my life will be over. No. He said, this could be God's crowning purpose for my life. But notice what he did. He starts out in a way to witness to them. He endeared himself. He said, brothers and fathers, our glorious hour, glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham. And it's almost like a way of saying he won the crowd. He wanted them to listen to what he was going to say, and and he endeared himself to them. Well, uh, he didn't do that very long because 
he gave what is probably the greatest summary of Old Testament history in all of the Bible. You could read what he said and it would help you put some things together. But something happened in verse 51. I must believe that the Holy Spirit led him to change the tenor of his testimony. Because rather than calling them brothers, he began to rebuke them as a prophet would do. He took on the prophetic stance of John when John told Herod he shouldn't have married his, his brother's wife. Sometimes, how many know sometimes men and women of God stand and speak truth to people in power that don't want to hear it? Well, that's what he did. And he said, verse 51, you stubborn people, you're deaf to the truth. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. Now, these were the head religious people. They killed the ones who predicted the coming Messiah, and this was Jesus, and you betrayed and murdered him. Now, now listen, friends, he put it all on the line. Jewish leaders were infuriated. They shook their fists at him in rage. So here's my question. What's going to happen next is uncertain. If you don't know anything in this story, you may be wondering, well, is God going to deliver him like he did Daniel out of the lion's den? Like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace? Is God going to do something supernatural to protect him? Is God going to send an angel there? What's going to happen? The question we're asking is, would he win or lose? And I guess it depends on our perspective. Because if our perspective is, is he going to live another 20, 30, 40 years and be happy and be able to kill a big turkey this spring and, and, uh, and you know, go duck hunting in November when the season opens up and is everything going to be great? What is winning or losing to you? Is winning What winning is, what I want winning to be in my life, is that I do the will of God. That I fulfill my purpose in life. Because friends, life is short. It's that long. Well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> they got mad. Verse 55. Stephen gazed steadily into heaven. In other words, Stephen didn't look at the problem. He was looking for God. That's why I've turned my TV off. I don't need to hear every little nuanced detail, two-thirds of which I don't even know are true or not. At this point, I am locked into God and praying and trusting God and trying to find God's will in all of this. He said, I see the heavens open and I see Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at God's right hand. Well, they didn't like that. I mean, he didn't, they didn't like that at all. They put their hands over their ears and started shouting, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, to the natural eye, he's losing big time, right? Let's keep going. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Took their coat off and they were intent on killing Brother Saul. You know who Saul was? In the next chapter or so, Saul would become Paul. He would become converted, a converted follower of Jesus Christ. He would write two-thirds of the New Testament. And he would become arguably the most powerful apostle that ever lived on the earth. And it was because of the witness of Stephen. As they stoned Stephen, and it wasn't comfortable. It was not fun. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees and he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And he died. So here's my question. Did Stephen win or did he lose? 
I wonder what Stephen saw and heard when he blinked and when he took his last breath on earth and his next breath was in heaven. You know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, Stephen said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, but I read in Hebrews where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, implying that when his son Stephen was under this horrific attack, Jesus stood up. I wonder when Stephen got to heaven if Jesus reached out to him and gave him the first hug. I wonder if when he got to heaven, how many angels were shouting and clapping at what Stephen had done. Listen, friend, winning and losing depends on perspective. Jesus said this eternal truth in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses your life for my sake will save it. Now, that includes a martyr, but it's not only martyrs. Listen, most of us, probably all of us, are not going to be martyred for Christ. But you can lose your life in Jesus by letting him be the Lord of your life. By starting from this day forwards, living each day saying, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Listen, friends, we may lose for a little while, but in the end, we win. And this is what I want to tell you today. Uncertainty may be a dark cloud. It may be foggy. It may be cloudy outside. But you can look beyond that. Come on and see the King of kings and see the Lord of lords who's in control of this mess here on earth. And he's the one that's going to prevail. Praise the Lord. Let me conclude with Psalm 46. And again, this is bigger than the election. Whatever uncertainty we face, we can trust God because God is in control. I don't care if it's a problem in your business with your finances, a job loss, a marriage prof, a, a, a bad report from the doctor. Let me give you something to read and I'll close with this. Psalm 46. And let's personalize it. Say this with me. God is my refuge and strength. Say that again. God is my refuge and strength. Always ready to help me in times of trouble. So we'll not fear. You say, well, does that mean he's always going to get me out of trouble? No. Sometimes he may go through trouble with you like he did Stephen. Sometimes he may go through trouble, like when Daniel and Shadrach and the boys were marching off to captivity. God was with them. We're not going to fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble in the sea. Go ahead and let the oceans roar and foam. The nations are in chaos. You better believe that today. You better believe that China and North Korea and Iran are watching what happens in this election in America and how it turns out. You better believe that the European Union is watching. You better believe that people in peace treaties across the Middle East are watching. The world is in chaos. The nations and their kingdoms will crumble. But the Lord of heaven's armies, come on, your daddy is here among us. The God of Israel is my fortress. And then there's, the, then there's the mission, the purpose. He tells people, come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction on the world. Be still and know that I'm God. When you are tossing and turning and can't sleep over uncertainty, be still. Just stop. Declare that out loud. Be still, my soul. God is on his throne. God says, I'm going to be honored throughout the world, and nobody will stop him. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise.
And this, my friend, is the God we serve. He is in control of elections and every uncertainty we face. And that's why you and I can say with confidence, I will trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding. But in all my ways, I will acknowledge him and he will direct my steps. Come on, give him one more big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? I'm just thrilled you're here today. So many wonderful churches in town. We're honored that you've chosen to be here. We're going to make an opportunity in just a second for personal prayer, have a song and, and, and dismiss. But could we just pray right now for America? And let me tell you, you're not helpless. You're not helpless for America's future. Your prayers have power. Close your eyes just a moment and just say this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Say it again. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you hear my voice. Thank you that my prayers have power. And today, Lord, we are joining in the spiritual warfare that is happening all over the world today as the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are at war with each other. And we just pray and declare today, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Lord, whether that means comfort for us or whether that means a heartache for us, Lord, we just pray that your kingdom is coming, your will is being done. It's being established on the earth. And God, you're going to fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can face whatever the future holds. But God, we want to agree in prayer right now for any dishonesty that may be in America. If there is dishonesty in the voting process, come on, agree with me now. We want to pray that it would be exposed in Jesus' name. We pray that any valid, ballot that is invalid would be removed. We are praying, God, that only legally cast ballots by legally, uh, 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 legally uh, 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 capable people are the ballots that are cast and the ballots that are counted. And I want to pray that everything would be exposed. I want to pray anything that is hidden, Lord, whether it's hidden in a computer somewhere, whether it's hidden in the recesses of an office, whether it's hidden in someone's mind, anything unethical, anything ungodly, anything dishonest would be exposed in Jesus' name. And Lord, we could with confidence say after the Supreme Court speaks, after we've done our part, we can say this is the man that the Lord has in the nation for this time, such a time as this. And we can believe that your hand is still on this nation. So, God, we pray great grace today. Great grace. Lord, grace on every judge, grace on the Supreme Court, grace on every lawyer, grace on every witness, grace on the people who are afraid to testify, testify the threat of their own lives. We just pray, God, that no one would be moved by money, no one be moved by power, but they would be moved by justice, righteousness, and truth in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right. Let's take the last couple of minutes for anybody here that's in need. You know, one of the saddest things a person can do is to have a, a heavy, weighty problem and bring it to church and then leave with that same problem. I'm not telling you your circumstances will change right after you pray, but what I'm saying is you can change so you can deal with your circumstances. If you're here today and you have anything going on in your world, or in the world of somebody you love and care about, that you, you, you need God to intervene. You need God's help. We want to pray with you. I want our prayer team to come to the front right now. Our prayer team, any pastors, any elders that are here, they're just going to gather right up front. In just a minute, we're going to sing this song, and if you want prayer, you'll come on up here and somebody will pray for you. Um, but I want to ask this question. Stay with me just a second now. Don't, don't watch them. 
there's some people here that we'd like to offer a special prayer for. Remember when I talked about the three groups? One group knew Christ as Lord and trying to follow him with everything. One group knew Christ as Savior. There was a group of people that may not be sure if Jesus is your Savior. You may be here today and maybe a good person you probably are. But you're not 100% certain if you died today if you'd go to heaven or hell. And I tell you, friend, there's nothing more important. I imagine several times today you've looked at that cross to your right and you notice that it's empty. It's empty for a reason. It reminds us of two things. Number one, Jesus died on the cross. And the reason he died was to pay the penalty for our sins. Most people, when they commit a capital crime, when they're dying, they're just paying for their own crime. But not Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life and he was a substitute. They took him off the cross. They put him in the ground for three days and he came back and he's alive. And he's alive today and he's coming back one day. And he wants people to follow him. See, this is what I didn't know. I was raised in church, a little country Methodist church. I, 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 I learned about Jesus. I knew the Bible. But it didn't make that much difference because I never turned my heart over to follow Christ. I had what I call a 911 relationship with God. When I had a problem, I, I, I remember I was 19, and I was a wild 19. I had been drinking too much, and I had to go across this river valley to get home. And the water was at flood stage. Literally, it was like that high from coming over the edge of the road. And I was in no shape to be driving. I pulled my little car over, asked God to help me get home safely. And you know what I did? And you know what I did when I got home? I put him back on the shelf until I needed him again. That's not a relationship with but something happened to me. It's like I was going away from God doing my own thing. But I was trying to find happiness. Happiness in was alcohol or drugs or relationships with girls or sports or success or school. But one day my, I began to feel this emptiness inside. That none of those things brought lasting satisfaction. And somebody told me that Jesus loved me and he'd give me the life that I was looking for if I would follow him. And I remember, I did the turn to God, August 15, 1976. It was a Navy boot camp. I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me, to come in my life and save me. And I started following Him. I want to tell you, friends, it's life-changing. If you're here today and it feels like I'm talking directly to you, I suggest that's God the Holy Spirit talking through me to you, telling you He wants you to make your step to Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you want to get right with God today and you want someone to pray with you, I'm going to ask you during this song or after it to come up to talk to Pastor Travis and just tell him, pray for me. I want to get right with God. And he'll do it, friends. It'll change your life. Go ahead and begin to sing our last song. Uh, if you need prayer for anything during this song, come up and let us pray for you. Most importantly, if you need to make a step to Christ, let Pastor Travis come pray. I love you. Thank you for coming. I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. You're all together worthy. You're all together wonderful to me. Come on, one more time. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to 
our prayer team is going to remain down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, we're going to continue to worship, hang out as long as you'd like to. I think all the exits are open, so feel free to be dismissed at any point. And uh, we just pray that you have a blessed day today.